questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. It is said that Buddha's mother conceived her son while in a state of blissful meditation under a banyan tree. Mary conceived Jesus in more or less the same way. It's also been said that Zoroaster, Leonardo da Vinci, Mary and Hannah, Mary's mother, and Moses, plus Athena and Athena's mother, Plato, Alexander the Great, and scores more geniuses, visionaries, leaders, and healers throughout history are claimed to have come about this way. If many of the lower species can and do conceive parthenogenetically, I don't think it's too absurd or irrational to assume that humans can too. There will be more questions than answers regarding tonight's interview. But tonight's special guest has researched this topic for over 50 years, searching, researching, and contemplating. We will thoroughly explore this subject of subjects through science, mythology, archaeology, religion, indigenous people, and yes, personal testimonies. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, rebounders, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Dean Poitras has been a lifelong artist and musician with a passionate curiosity for life's deep mysteries. You stumble upon books regarding matriarchy, longevity, women's mysteries, and parthenogenesis in 1969 at the age of 18. Our universe, uterus, is way beyond our comprehension, he says. And the book is titled Parthenogenesis, Women's Long-Lost Ability to Self-Conceive. And directly from Ashburnham, Massachusetts, I would like to welcome Den Poitras. Hello, Den, and welcome to Veritas. Thanks very much, Mel. Uh, I'm very honored to uh, have been invited to speak about this uh, unusual subject, uh, which apparently, I mean, on the surface, men might be threatened by it (laughs) because it, it suggests that perhaps men are not needed at all. But that's not the case whatsoever. And it's not just a book for women, even though it's a very powerful, powerful feminine uh, knowledge, ancient and present and uh, futuristic. But uh, anyway, here I am. I You just finished reading the book. It's not very long. I think it's 150 pages, but... By the way, that that's right, what you just said. I wanted to say it later, and I'll say it later, but this is not about the feminazis at all. It's about the divine feminine. Exactly. And it's about conducting right. an objective investigation about what might be happening still to this day. But you sent me a dedicated copy of your book, Dan, and I appreciate that. And above your autograph, you said, always be curious. Curiosity didn't kill the cat after all. 
I think it's appropriate to mention I've always had an overdeveloped sense of wonder, and tonight's topic is one of those that will definitely need for people to keep an open mind. So let's begin by defining the word parthenogenesis. Tell us what it means, and then I want to know what motivated you to study this topic. Right, yeah. Yeah, just to learn not to pronounce it uh, took me a while. Parthenon parthenogenesis it comes oh, from the parthenogenesis okay. that parthenon yes right like like the parthenon in uh, greeks dedicated to goddess athena who among other things is the inventor of greek democracy which is partly the form of democracy that here in america we use but it's also mixed with tribal uh, knowledge of the six confederated tribes of New England, which is a whole nother subject, but anyway. So the Parthenon, the root meaning is of virgin origin. It's ancient knowledge, the, the possibility of women conceiving without male activity is something that's, well, it, it's very much accepted in India that they believe that that's how the gurus are, are conceived, and it's a, it's a relatively easy idea for them to accept parthenogenesis, or also called virgin birth, which doesn't make sense when you think about it. But uh, what started me off on it, well, I always had... Before you say that, before you say that, what you said about the Parthenon, yeah. I wonder that. So if the word Parthenon means virgin... A virgin origin. Virgin yeah. origin. Why virgin origin for the Parthenon? Yeah, well, it has to do with the, its claim that uh, Athena was born that way, was conceived that way, as was her mother. And the theory lying behind it, I mean, it's in the major religions. Buddha was conceived supposedly that way, and so was, of course, the most famous one here in the West is uh, Jesus. And the theory is that if a woman conceives that way, that it's like a direct influence upon the egg, the unfertilized egg from the creator, from uh, the light the, of unconditional love that permeates all matter, living and inanimate. Now we're getting into physics, so there's a physics aspect to it, obviously. So how does this work? A woman has to have, she has to be kind of like in an athletic condition. And that the, anyway, the, the, the whole idea of this is that the children born through these conceptions are highly gifted. But that didn't, that puts a shadow on regular birth, you know, and we don't want to do that. Every child has gifts and is born into this world with gifts, but supposedly the difference is that there's a more there's a, a clearer path among parthenogenetic children, so that their gifts are more easily accessible. Like supposedly Jesus was a great healer, Buddha was a great man for clarity and peace and wisdom and love as well. And uh, as among American Indian tribes, there's the great peacemaker who about 1,200 years ago, his birth was claimed 
to be of virgin origin as well. And he brought all the, the, the warring tribes of New England together, the six confederated nations, and his he developed a form of democracy. And when William Penn and Ben Franklin found out about how the six confederated tribes worked together, because about 1,200 years ago they were warring, and this peacemaker of virgin origin uh, brought them all together and had a form of democracy. Uh, and when, like I was saying, when William Penn and uh, Ben Franklin found out how they did it, they mixed Greek democracy with the Sixth Confederated Tribe democracy. And so America potentially has the best, most advanced form of democracy on the planet. But I still think America is struggling to achieve democracy. It gets awfully close, but it keeps getting batted down by uh, the forces of weakness that people somehow want a strong dictator. And so it's like fascism or democracy. And that battle is more present than ever. So we need a peacemaker. <laughs> we need a strong parthenogenetic peacemaker, woman or man. We don't know. So I'm just kind of improvising on this spectacular word, parthenogenesis, and it, it just means of virgin origin. I started reading about it because I joined a raw food healing organization, the people that basically made sprouts popular in the 1960s and early 1970s. They originated wheatgrass, wheatgrass juice, which you find in health food stores. Sure. And it's because of the chlorophyll content that makes wheatgrass so interesting and powerful. And under the microscope, the molecule of, uh, one might say, <laughs> chlorophyll, the molecule of chlorophyll is almost identical to the molecule of hemoglobin, the what? human blood, a blood cell. So it's interesting. I mean, you could define human beings as the most successful creature to harness the energy of the sun, our ability. It's like uh, just from a physical level, I mean, you think about the sunlight is bombarding this planet and the green leaves through photosynthesis, they get to store the energy. And then there is all kinds of animals that eat the greens and that sunlight energy gets stored in their flesh. And then along comes a caveman and eats the flesh and it's it's all sunlight energy that's trapped in things and in creatures and in plants. And so it's a food chain. So we're at the top of the food chain. We're like self-conscious sunlight, you know, on the, just the physical level. But on a higher level, we're self-conscious light that permeates the light that the physicists talk about, this energy, unified field of energy that permeates all of existence. So let's think about an unfertilized egg, and let's think about... Uh, a sperm. A sperm is only one. No, no. 
the egg is, I think, 175,000 times bigger than a single sperm. I read that it's 10 million. The human egg is 10 million times, a, a, a cell, is 10 million times really? larger than a sperm cell. Right. Yeah, so whatever that figure, it's massive. <laughs> Maybe it's like a satellite going around the Earth. You know, look of it that way. And that's the the uh, that's the male contribution. You know, and how does that work? Uh, only one of those sperms gets to perp to uh, puncture the outer layer of the egg and, and spark up life. Fertilization. Right. Does, it, is it, you know, doesn't take that much to spark up life. Exactly. So you know. So why would it be so impossible that a woman in a state of physical, a very, like, a athletic shape and on a special diet of, like, raw food, you know, with lots of chlorophyll and fruits and nuts and all organic, and maybe she fasts and, and maybe uh, she was having periods in her, normally having periods and maybe... By increasing the purity of her diet, just like a woman athlete, they lose their period. They lose, they're like they stand on the moon. <laughs> they rise above the influence of menses, of menstruation. You know, this is, this is all conjecture. This is just logic once you start analyzing, well, how could a woman bring herself to a state of ecstasy and, and in harmony and like like uh, nirvana. Uh, there's an organic way to reach nirvana. You know, you don't necessarily have to eat fancy mushrooms that are going to alter your brain cells. You know, it might be just a little bit of fasting and joyous dance, you know, with, with the, a handful of wise women that know about this possibility. Uh, I read about a ceremony among the Chippewa, the Jibawa people, Ojibwa, of uh, Minnesota, Canada area. This is, um, I read a book about a man who spent 10 years uh, just researching old stories before the, the, the uh, appearance of the white man. And one of the stories that he got from one of the elders was of a certain ceremony that women have that they keep an eye out over the generations for the appearance of a young girl that shows grace, compassion, a sense of balance and caring. And they may, they ask if she's willing to try this old method of conceiving a child without a man, they, uh, you know, if she's interested and and has and would like to try it that they would prepare her through fasting and herbs and and then ceremonies that they built a lodge away from the main village of course it was announced that she was hands off for marriage you know she was kept for sacred purposes so nobody pestered her you know nobody tried to uh, to uh, court her so I read this in, in a book about the Ojibwa, and this is before the coming of the white man, they, you know, and, and their story of the virgin birth with Jesus. So, but they said that the reason, the reason to have, this is what they said, the reason to have 
children this way is that they bring a certain gift from the great spirit to the community, to the village. And could be that the people are down in spirit or that there's, there's been too much illness. So the, the, the child born through these conceptions uh, to take care of the problems of the community, because on a deeper level, the being that is being conceived uh, has special gifts for healing, for instance. Or it could be that they have a tremendous sense of humor and great negotiating skills so they can stop uh, wars between different tribes or just bring an incredible joy and a loving spirit to everyone. It could be that simple a gift. It doesn't have to be healing through touch or walking on water. Or By the way, who was Walter Sigmeister, later known as Dr. Raymond W. Bernard? What did he discover over 50 years ago? And I think he, he wrote the book, The Mysteries of Human Reproduction, right? Right, yeah. Oh, gee, yeah, this... Well, I know very little about him personally at all, but... Of course, I read his book, which a lot of people have, still available through, what is it, Montezuma Press or something. I'm not sure if that's even a name of it anymore. But if you look up the title, The Mysteries of Human Reproduction by Raymond Bernard, you can get a copy of it easy, you know. eBay puts them out, you know. And by the way, he's also credited with the merger of the, he was born in 1901, and he wrote a lot about the hollow earth theory and religious beliefs about UFOs, the merger of those two. Wow. I think you're right about that, yeah. Yeah, I was not... Of course, I'm I'm curious, and I'm drawn to... I always, I've always been, you know, like Bigfoot, the Yeti, Sasquatch, uh, Atlantis, Edgar Cayce, all the great mysteries of life. And uh, the, the Great Pyramid is one of my uh, favorites. Uh, the best book on that is by Christopher Dunn, D-U-N-N. Yep. We've had him on, and we discuss his work. Yeah. Sure. Oh, just love that guy. I sent him, before my book turned into a book, it was an article, only like a 26-page article on the very heart of parthenogenesis, which is based on the six-foot, two-inch tall woman that I met that fasted for a long time. She was a breatharian, of all things. That's, yep, yeah, somebody that doesn't eat solid food and just drinks water, not even eating supplements. I sent him that article, and he read it, and he wrote back to me, and it was amazing. The reason why I sent it to him is because they talked about a temple uh, what the heck is it called? <laughs> There's one of the temples in Egypt that's, that's supposedly where they practice divine birth. And that just lit a light bulb in my head. You know, that just, wow, I heard this whole talk about divine birth. And I said, well, perhaps they practice it there because there's links about the Greek priestesses that learned about, you know, how to do parthenogenesis, they learned it from Egypt. So there's the link. And so their pharaohs, perhaps, were born that way. I don't know. But uh, that knowledge was passed down, apparently. 
you know, it's like, show me the facts, as Christopher Dunn would say, you know. <laughs> show me the facts, but let me just say a couple of things. Yeah. You include in the book uh, Raymond Bernard and his work and The Lancet. And by the way, The Lancet, a lot of our listeners probably have heard of it, is a weekly peer-reviewed general medical journal. It is the world's highest impact general medical journal and one of the oldest. It was founded in England in 1823. And The Lancet, in an article, states that Parthenogenesis is almost certainly scientifically observed. There's two sentences here. One, a scientist analyzed 19 alleged cases of human parthenogenesis. Two, the 18 of the 19 cases were rejected for various reasons. Rigorous proof is impossible, but it remains that all the evidence obtained from serological and special tests is consistent with what would be expected in a case of parthenogenesis. This mother's claim must right. not only be considered seriously, but it must also be admitted that we have been unable to disprove it, end quote. And that's very important from a, a reputable medical journal. Right. One of the things is the mysterious dermoid cyst. He mentions that quite a bit in this book. And it's, it's here's a typical case, a young woman who's fertile, but it's still a virgin. You know, her hymen is intact, and she's living with a religious family, a mother and father, and everyone is respectful, right? And there's a swelling in her abdomen, and it's painful. So she goes to get an examination, and the doctor says that she's pregnant, and the parents and herself are going, you know, that's impossible. Her hymen is intact. So... It's a cyst, the guy says. Actually, it's a cyst. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say she's pregnant. I, that's that's what they decided is what happened later, you know, when they removed the cyst. All right, she gets the checkup. She has a swelling. It hurts. They do the operation. They remove the cyst. Upon analyzing the cyst, which is medical procedure, analyzing cysts, see if they're cancerous or whatever, uh, among... This type of dermoid cyst, for, there's a, a human skull and a vertebrae and some organs that are very, very tiny inside the cyst. But nevertheless, it look what it apparently is that one of her eggs fertilized and it was starting to turn into a child, but it got stuck in a fallopian tube. It's probably inappropriate, whatever it is I'm saying, scientifically or biologically. But it got jammed up in her apparatus <laughs> and uh, had to be removed because it was starting to decay. So therefore, it was an infection and it had to be removed. But one wonders, well, how did her egg get fertilized? And she was not even aware of it. So I think that's pretty interesting. And there's been a number of cases over the centuries, I'm sure, where maybe these young women died from dermoid cysts. Who knows? And then there's the mystery of the hymen. There's only one other species on Earth that has a hymen, and that's a, a sperm whale or, or a blue whale, whatever. The, it's a species of whale. And so it's a protective uh, layer of skin or flesh that keeps seawater out of the womb of a, of a female whale. So what is the purpose of a hymen among human women? Is nature suggesting that 
parthenogenesis is the desired way to conceive? If so, I'm sure we wouldn't have the population problem that we have now, because it's a very touchy way to conceive. You would need wise women to know how to bring a, a fertile woman who's perhaps ovulating. They would have to know how she could achieve a conception, and they'd have to raise her vibration through dance, maybe some mushrooms, maybe mead wine, which is a very gentle wine, maybe a mushroom, or maybe just the influence of, of a trance induced by drumming and singing and dancing and fasting hour after hour all night. You know, maybe that would, while she's ovulating, you know, so there's a very, very strong chance that she could conceive that way, that the ecstasy itself, the electrical energy, would be enough to uh, fertilize her own egg. I, I don't know. It's, it's like remains a mystery, but why does virgin birth exist in so many religions? And, you know, and how did it, that whole story appear in that Ojibwa book about an ancient ceremony of the wise women before the coming of the white man. And then the story about, again, about the peacemaker who had powerful negotiating skills to bring these warring tribes together. And then there's Athena. They developed, they devoted a whole temple to her. She was a genius. And, you know, they had a huge statue of her. I think it was like 60 feet tall or something. And they had gold leaf on her, different parts of her hands or her face or something. There's another book that I mentioned several times in my book, and it's uh, uh, by Margaret Rigolosio. Uh, not an easy name to pronounce, but she became a good friend of mine and a colleague. And uh, her first book she wrote, which took, I think, seven or ten years of research is called The Cult of Divine Birth in Ancient Greece. And then her second book is called Virgin Mother Goddesses of Antiquity. And she has a very strong presence on Facebook uh, through uh, the Seven Sisters Mystery School. Seven Sisters Mystery School. And she is she travels a lot teaching women about the power of the womb uh, not necessarily how to have a baby that way, because, you know, like Christopher Dunn says, show me the facts. I mean, it's it's difficult to, we're at a difficult stage. According to the heart of the story of my book, Parthenogenesis, Women's Long Lost Ability to Self-Conceive, is this woman called Lori, who, in a state of uh, meditation, was told through a powerful light that she had conceived the child. And it took a longer than nine months before the child entered its physical growth cycle. So it was pretty odd, but she had continued to fast for two and a half years, which is pretty hard to believe. But if you go to Facebook and type in Breatharians, you're going to get to a page that's full of Breatharians 
or people struggling and helping each other to try to go without food for 30 days, 60 days, a year. It's pretty interesting. So even NASA is studying a particular man. I, I forget his name. I think it's in my book that I mentioned it. It's supposed to be for real. NASA is studying this man who's a breatharian, and uh, he goes unbelievably long periods of time with no solid food. So, of course, NASA is very interested because food nourishment is and waste is a huge problem when you're in a spaceship. So if he if they could train people uh, on not having to eat and you know so much uh, that it would be pretty neat, pretty wonderful. They could have long flights without <laughs> without falling apart. I don't know. It's very interesting. I've heard some males are a genetic mutation of women. So technically, female is the only gender on the planet with an alternative version of herself. What do you think of that? And is this why, in this patriarchal society, this subject is hardly ever discussed? I know. It's so grotesquely funny, if you really... I find so much humor in it. You know, you think about these football players, you know, that are like 6'3", and they weigh like 290 pounds, and they're like huge, you know, and they got... And you think about their genitalia, they have an, elong an elongated clitoris, they have a penis, and they have, the, the ovaries have descended and turned into testicles. So they, they have this very vulnerable, these very vulnerable organs outside of their body, unprotected. I mean, one swift kick there, and that big 280-pound Goliath is like, curled up in a fetal position on the floor. So men have an incredible vulnerability, and they have an incredible tough shell as well, like a turtle, in order to protect. The tougher the skin, the more vulnerable they are, like a scorpion. A scorpion has its skeleton on the outside. But if you step on a scorpion, that's it. You know, if, if a scorpion falls off a table and lands on a stone floor, they'll, they'll, they'll die. Yeah, exoskeleton. Exoskeleton. So men are like, the males are like exoskeletons. <laughs> the first three months, or several months of human life in the womb, it's a, it's a female. If it's going to be a male, then the ovaries descend and become testicles. And you can see the uh, the clitoris, obviously, the penis that the boy has or is going to have. And the X chromosome thing, that's a whole other way to approach it. Women have a double dose of, of X chromosome. Men have X chromosome and they have Y chromosome. What is a Y chromosome but a degenerate X chromosome? What is a male but a degenerate female? But degenerate in the biological sense, not in the sociological, psychological sense. You know, like, oh, he's a degenerate, you know, <laughs> like, a, you know, he's just a criminal and a caveman and he's brutal. And Now, men can be that way, obviously, and that's especially under the, the, uh, the empires of... Uh, patriarchy, you know, everything is male-dominated, 
you know, the Hopis have been talking about for you know, like 50 years or 100 years, they've been talking about how the the world is imbalanced. It, it's it's gone too far to the masculine energy, the masculine energy toxic, uh, and it has thrown the whole planet off. So we have been slowly returning to a feminine cycle, which is our origin in matriarchy where men are not dominated by matriarchy. They're not dominated by women when women are in charge. When patriarchy rose up, and to this day is still happening on a very global level, women suffer under patriarchy. So I could say it again, all right? <laughs> matriarchy men don't lose their freedoms they're not dominated they're not treated horribly I'm 72 years old I'm totally open to keep learning about all of this stuff I have by no means do I know everything about any of these subjects I am always open to see where I'm wrong and to, to add more information that uh, in my book, I, I've asked for African contributions because that's a whole other like, continent that I haven't been able to get any information of. Uh, I found some African stuff that is so mind-blowing. If, if people go on Facebook and look up Parthenogenesis, they'll find a page that, that there's a Wikipedia uh Page that comes up, it defines parthenogenesis, and the only other one is the one that I have put up on parthenogenesis. And if you scroll down, you'll find an African woman who you'll see her picture, and there's an explanation of how I think uh, is the wisdom of Africa uh, regarding parthenogenesis and how it works biologically. So, like when I was in Boston when I was 18 years old at this raw food institute called Hippocrates Health Institute. They had huge libraries, personal libraries, and that's where I started finding out about uh, ancient goddess cultures and, and, the, and this whole thing of parthenogenesis and virgin birth. I mean, I was raised Catholic, so it isn't like it was new to me. You know, I, I was always very respectful and haunted by Mary in particular, and, and her son, Jesus, you know, but not the dogma that went around with it. You know, I was I was very attracted to something very deep there, and, you know, I didn't find that out until years later, you know, what it was. You know, what you just said, what you just said about uh, having grown up a Roman Catholic, so was I, and I wonder if I went back to some of my colleagues in the, the Roman Catholic Church, and I mentioned, by the way, I'm studying this parthenogenesis concept about you know they probably would laugh at me and then I would say but wait a second don't you believe that Jesus came from a virgin birth of Mary couldn't that happen in other places but let me just say this also and here's the thought that always right. makes me wonder Dan if there's something that causes balance when it comes to gender unless of course you introduce birth limitation practices like in China where at one point they had a one child policy and many girls were aborted because parents wanted a boy so they could be taken care of later in life. That throws off the balance. But put my, I would put myself in as an example. I come from a family of five male siblings. Now, most of us are having right. girls. 
Do you think there's something, and I just can't find the term, something that balances the males and the females? We all remember in school, if you went to a co-ed school, it was pretty much 50-50. So what do you think is causing the birth of girls through traditional intercourse to be steadily increasing over the past few decades with the birth of boys on the decline? And since we can't argue with nature, is nature trying to show us all something? Yes. I mean, go back to the Hopis and how there's an imbalance on this planet, and it's a, a toxic male energy. Now, male energy is fun and full of creativity and joy and hard work and courage, and, and that's like the left side of our brain. That's the, Traditionally, that's the male side of our brain, the left brain, the janitor, the care, caretaker, the, the husband. You husband the land. You husband your family. You know, you're a caretaker. Rawr, you're a, a peaceful warrior. You're, you're there to protect your family. That's the male energy. That's the left brain. The right brain is like the whole purpose for the left brain. <laughs> the right brain is is like uh, the, the rabbit hole, the, uh, the black hole, the, the tunnel of love that just, you go down the rabbit hole, you go down into your soul, and uh, where the poetry is, the, under, the intuition is, where the genius of love and creativity and beauty and compassion and uh, poetry, art, music, uh, our spirit, the deeper reality of love and compassion, that's the feminine side, that's the right brain. So we need to bring more of that in ourselves to the surface. We need to meditate and to have gentle ways to uh, raise our consciousness. You know, we don't have to do all this drug stuff and, you know, and alcoholism and you know, drinking and smoking and, you know, I mean, not that any of that is like evil, but, you know, to, to go easy with that stuff, to be moderate in all things, you know, so says the Buddha. I mean, you can eat a little bit of meat. You can, you don't have to be strict of anything. If we're just more gentle with ourselves, doors, I think, would probably open more often and just opportunities uh, arise you know, safe spaces for women to be in, you know, where perhaps experiments with this form of birth could happen. I don't know. But the Margaret Rigolosio through Facebook, again, uh, Seven Sisters Mystery School, she's uh, a colleague and a dear, dear friend of mine who, you know, after 40 years of sitting on this information, and a lot of the, the details about the woman that I, I spoke of, Lori, who fasted for two and a half years and had parthenogenetic experience, and but the baby, she did have it, and but it died prematurely, it was only a few months old. I call it a miscarriage, I guess. It wasn't, it didn't weigh very much only weighed a few pounds and it wasn't on the on the earth for very long. In the end she said it that the earth was too gross. Gross uh, like gross weight, you know, it was too heavy, too uh, you know, too grounded or something. 
or not grounded enough in the right way. Just uh, she said, it was, the, the Earth was just too gross to to be able to uh, sustain the vibration of this young child that was most likely highly gifted at a very high vibration. Just couldn't uh, stand the, the lower vibrations on the Earth. But supposedly it, it, a lot has changed since then. But oh God, so you know. But I, I was sitting on this information for forty years. All I had was that article to show for it. When uh, out of the blue, I was doing some research and I found an hour and a half interview with Margaret Rigolosio right after her first book, and she was uh, she was smart enough to know that I was real, and uh, she contacted me right away, and we had a great conversation over the phone, and then uh, we had probably about a month after that, I met her in person at a, a Starbucks. We had coffee, and I I was weeping uh, with, I mean, just it was like a burden was removed from my shoulders to know how much she was into uh, this whole subject and how she understood whatever it was that I was relaying and communicating to her. I love our differences. Our differences make life interesting, and I, I respect them and I honor them as much as I can. You know, now when our differences have to do with violence, I don't know how to deal with that. I just don't want it in my life. I don't want them in my life. Well, well, hold it, hold it. You, you said something interesting there. I don't mean to keep interjecting, but yeah. I have to. What you just said about the, oh, the, no. the violent hey. and all that, of violence and all that stuff, I. There's one thing that people really don't look at, but circumcision. You look at the countries in the world that have the highest preponderance of circumcision, and those are the countries that are, have been engaged in wars more than any other one. Now, think wow. about that. Yeah, I know that. I, I haven't heard that, but I'm totally, uh, that's going to be rolling around in my head for quite a while, uh, gathering facts. Uh, yeah, I know that there's been har that's been harm a harmful practice, and you know I've yet to really uh, examine that. But oh, I, I believe the possibility of that for sure. You know, that's a horrible w wounded male energy that is forced upon us that must have psychological and emotional repercussions. Of course, and I mean a baby's it, born, <laughs> they have this innate right. trust, right? And then no anesthesia. Oh, yeah. They don't put any anesthesia. They just got it off to cut a big portion of the nervous system and because it's uh, sanitary. That's what we've been told. But let me go back to the notion yeah. of natural yeah. order for a second. Have you heard of the returning soldier syndrome? Uh, not particularly. Let no. me just say this. And I want to get your reaction. Scientists have known for a long time that an increased number of boys are born during and after major wars. The phenomenon was first noticed in 1954 with regard to white children born during World War II in the USA. It has since been replicated wow. for most of the belligerent nations in both world wars. It's one of the bizarre and unexplained ways the world works to restore balance. What do you think of this balancing when so many males are lost in war and then nature brings them back in a way? Wow. Well, the, yeah, the... Uh well, obviously, uh, reincarnation is uh, taking place. It's a, 
it's a definite phenomenon, you know, that can't be overlooked. Yeah, I mean, uh, that is interesting. I mean, I would think, well, here's something. I, this is from, a, 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 this is a Buddhist quote. I don't know where it came from. It's several years ago, it stuck in my head. And it said, uh, it's, this is from a Buddhist thought. And it's, uh, first of all, it's a mistake to be born. Okay? That's number one. Number two, it's a further mistake to be born a male. Number three, it's more of a mistake if you're a male to become a soldier or a policeman. And the reason being that whether you're doing your duty or not, and you, you're most likely going to hurt or kill somebody as a soldier or a policeman. And if you do that, it's karma and you have to come back. So, but I like the idea that it's a mistake to be born to begin with. I mean, another thing I study passionately besides birth conception is uh, the moment of death and and near-death experiences. I've read every possible available book on the subject, and I constantly watch interviews on YouTube about people, all walks of life, all colors, all shapes, all religions, atheists included, scientists, doctors, athletes that have died in an accident or on in a hospital undergoing very intense surgery and they die for four, five, ten, or twenty minutes sometimes. And all their experiences, I'm sure you've investigated this, you know, talk about this light that is brighter than the sun but not painful. (laughs) You know, it's this beautiful light and it's more familiar than home. And there are ancestors there after they leave their body. And uh, and you wonder, they, that, I mean, that's home. And, and they realize, oh, that their, their being is made of light. Their own soul is made of light. And they encounter other souls that are made of light. And then some of them become instantly recognizable. It's like the, the face comes to the surface uh, it might even look like Jesus at first, you know, depending on the religion that you were raised with. It might look like Buddha, and then all of a sudden the face turns into uh, one of your ancestors who you couldn't have known, like your great-grandmother was there all, all of a sudden. You go, well, I never could see my great-grandmother. I wasn't even born when she died, you know, but you know, they know, these near-death experience people, they, they know that it's their great-grandmother. And she's welcoming you, and then she might ask you, you know, Bob, are you ready to come with me and stay in this wondrous light? And we go through these meadows with flowers, and Bob will go, he'll think about his kids, and you go, oh, boy, I forgot about my kids. I mean, this is so beautiful. I just want to stay here forever. This is my home. This is where I came from. This is where I'm going to return. Why do I want to go back into this body Especially now that it's on a, you know, it's in, uh, encountering, you know, heart surgery. And then he realizes, oh, I really have to go back. 
you know, my uh, my mission is not accomplished yet. You know, my kids need me. So, you know, he goes flying back down the hole. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wonder why we're here, but I, I think we volunteer. But in the case of a soldier, you know, when you kill, whether it's through just self-protection or protecting somebody else, you killed and you, you broke a law of uh, nature. I wonder when soldiers and order followers in general, and you could put anybody else in, by the way, I have the utmost respect, good law enforcement people. I know there are bad apples everywhere. But when it comes right, to right. not only about the light, but the countless number of people who have told me and share their stories on this program that they died in the operating room for 10, 15 minutes and they were pronounced dead. I mean, flatlined completely, the whole thing disconnected. And then they came back to life and they said they heard every word. They saw every move, and they told the doctors exactly what they were saying when they were yeah. dead. Right. That's proof enough for me. <laughs> and by the way, I recently had a, a somebody who wrote to me with a near-death experience. They write to me all the time. And this person says that he came back, but I'm told that, that when he went to the light, he felt like it was the light was the true definition of love. And he told the light he yeah. wanted to go back, come back because he had unfinished business. And the light said, right. there's a great war coming that you still want to go back. And he still came oh, back, he, but said there's a great war coming. I hope that I'm not planting seeds out there, but that's what I'm told. I know. It seems like we're in the midst of one, you know, that, what's going on with the Ukraine. and there, There's patriarchy again. We need more women in politics, more women in science, more women in medicine, more women everywhere. But we, we need the, I don't need to get political, but we need the you know, right women in politics. And we need the right, women. We need the exactly. right president as a woman. I totally right. agree uh, that that's needed, uh, not some of the women yeah. that are around. But by the way, let me just, before we take the break, let me just emphasize <laughs> once again that I'm not conducting this interview to give fuel to the fem feminazis who want nothing to do with men. It's not men bashing. I have a wife and a daughter conceived naturally, and that's beautiful. I think the union of the male and female energy completes us. I'm just curious about this subject, and I know some religious people might wonder, why I'm even discussing this when I was raised a Roman Catholic and we're told Jesus was born of a virgin birth. Same with Horus and others, cited Buddha, Alexander, and a lot of them in the Asian books. So why not learn about this? So the purpose of this interview is to objectively get some answers, and we're not afraid to ask these questions here. And by the way, I have about 20 more pages of notes here that I want to discuss with you when we come back. Dan, how can people buy sure. the book? And by the way, you're going to allow us to play a song of yours titled Catacomb. What is that all about? Yeah, it's an instrumental. It's my own composition, and uh, it's the, it, there's an image of uh, going under the Vatican uh, in the catacombs and where there are scrolls present that match some of the scrolls that were found among the Essenes along the Dead Sea. And uh, there's even like an Aramaic interpretation of, of uh, which is the original language of the Bible, uh, of our father. Because I, I read a direct translation of our father from the Aramaic, and it's our mother, father, who art in heaven. And you go, what? So th they didn't neglect the feminine, you know, or, or the woman aspect in, in uh, the, I think, is the original Christianity, 
which is by the Essenes. And uh, anyway, uh, I just got lost. <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah, so you get lost in this instrumental piece. It's an instrument that started with a, a four-string lap-style Appalachian dulcimer, and I turned it into uh, a workhorse of... It has 20 strings on it, and I electrified it, but it still has a beautiful acoustic uh, sound to it. And I ended up calling it the fire harp is the name of the instrument. And I played one, I played this particular model for about 32 years. And I, uh, it, it, I innovated, I didn't invent it, but it's essentially, it's a harp guitar that I play on my lap. But uh, it's a beautiful tune. Um, it just reminds me of being in a catacomb, you know, which is a little scary, but there's some beautiful ancient wisdom that's hidden there in, among the scrolls <laughs> at the Vatican. When I was reading the book in the past few days, I was listening to your music on Spotify. You have a couple of albums there, and, and I enjoyed the music. I'm always, right. always open-minded about new music genres, and I liked it. And the book is titled... Parthenogenesis, Women's Long-Lost Ability to Self-Conceive. Hopefully by the end of the program, I'll be able to pronounce that word correctly. And when we come back, we have a lot more. I mean, there are plenty of animal species, sharks, snakes, and lizards that have had parthenogenesis births. So why not humans? And you had a website in 2013 with a large following, and through emails and phone calls, many of them told you about their own, quote-unquote, mysterious conception stories and you'll share some of those yes. when we come back my special guest today is Dan Poitras this is Mel Hustlerick and you are listening to Veritas don't go anywhere thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview to listen to the rest and all of our material proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com you can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, Proceed to the members section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know. <laughs>